What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes. Pop quiz, hot shot. Oh, God, here it comes. You're walking down the street. Mm. You're in North America. Yes. You suddenly find yourself in desperate need of working dog equipment. Right. Where are you going to get it? Canine Dynamics. Canine Dynamics. Yeah. Is that where, if you were in North America, you would get all your working dog equipment? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Why? The best. All round good guy. All round good guy. Macla Point. He spells his name with a C and not a K. Oh, he must be cool. He must be really cool. All right. Next question. Yes. You're walking down the street. Mm. Same in, street? No. Okay. Now you're in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> you can find yourself in need yep. of dog equipment. Mm-hmm. Who are you calling? Oh, hang on a sec. Let me think about it. Is he a buffhead? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he's half a bullfed now. Yeah. Yeah. He's the fading bullfed. He's the fading bullfed. Yeah. Yep. Okay. It's given it away. I call old mate Jason Furman. Yep. From Einz Wiener. Wiener. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Yep. One more question. Right. You are in Ashland, Virginia. Right. And- That's you- very specific. <laughs> <laughs> You're walking down the street. Yep. Which street? Uh, any of them. A street. Okay. And you meet a person mm. whose dog's just being unruly. Their pet dog's causing them all kinds of problems. Yep. Who are you going to refer them on to? Oh, the one and only Kindred Canine. Kindred Canine. Kindred Canine. Who runs that? Melanie Benware. Uh-huh. The Prez. The Prez of the ISCP. Yep. The one right. and only. So, you will need working dog equipment in North America. Mm-hmm. Canine, Canine Dynamics. Dynamics. Need any kind of dog gear in yep. Australia. Yep. Four Fed Central. Einswick Dog Quip. Yep. Need some pet dog in-home what does she call it? She calls it stay and train or play and train. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All of that. Who are you calling? Kindred Canine. Melanie Benway. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you very much for supporting the show. Love you. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Hello, Mr. Stewart. How are you, sir? I'm good, sir. Hey. Yes. Got a topic. Yeah? Yeah. Go on. Go so on. a few times in our uh, discussion group mm. in the last you know, a few weeks, yep. there's been uh, discussions and questions mm-hmm. around continuous versus variable schedules of reinforcement. Oh, that's a good one. I did well, see that in a thread. Yeah. Yeah. It is a good one because it's in people's minds, especially when they start to get into market training and mm-hmm. also shaping behaviors, like mm-hmm. when they're teaching complex skills and so forth. Mm-hmm. It's a topic that regularly is discussed and comes up in NDTF because they have to know it. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody has to know it who's teaching complex behaviors and chaining behaviors and so forth. Yeah. Mm. So we we will today give an overview of that. Mm. And I think that the way to do that is, you know, first define what is a marker, yep. what is reinforcement, mm. what is like the variable package of reinforcement, yep. what is constant reinforcement, what is variable reinforcement, and what is extinction. And we'll yep. go through that. But what I will say is that 
every one of those topics is covered in sort of agonizing detail in our Patreon. So this yeah. would kind of be an overview of it. And mm. I'm sure from this, you'll get a good understanding. If you were curious before, you should have a good understanding yep. now. But And you uh, did a very good one in Patreon called Multiple Markers. Yeah. I'm not trying to push people to Patreon. Patreon is a generosity scheme that people help us pay for all our bills and so forth. So I know this sounds like a marketing start, but it, you know, it does help us support the show and so forth. But that's the reason why we reward our Patreon members yeah. is with learnable material. Yeah, more detailed there. stuff. Yeah, so it's a reward system for helping us pay I the, think one of the, the things show. I quite like about doing those videos in Patreon and like it's going into a level of detail that really isn't for the average person. That's right. Like, like I was talking to my sister about it one time. She, I showed her one of the videos and I kind of had to educate her for nearly two hours before she could even understand yeah. the, the terminology and what I was going to say in the Patreon. Because I was like, so that stuff, it's particularly around this topic, mm. is really the minutia, the deep detail, yep. rather than just the sort of basic overview. The other thing about that too I like to point out is I don't think people – may understand the amount of work that an ep- that goes into a Patreon episode as well. Mm. So it's not just, you know, like you just sit in front of your camera and just click record and go through it. I'm speaking for myself here where I've done some scent detection stuff and all the props that I've got to get together and all the pre-work that I've done. Like if you put hours behind it, there's hours and hours and hours of setup. And I know that with conversations that I've had with you about it, You record something, you're not happy with it, you re-record it, you send it out to, you know, a few select people to audit it for you, and then you've got to come back and make changes to whatever recommendations you get and so forth. So there is actually a lot of work in it as well. It's not just, oh, hey, you know, we're just going to burn in a half an hour period and just press the play button and go for it. I wish that (laughs) was the case. If only. It is like a job. Yeah. But we're happy to do it. We're happy to be in a position of doing it. Yeah. And I mean, it comes out in the work too. You know, like I've watched some of your work you're doing and you really, I think you're in your element when I watch you doing it Mm because I can see your passion and commitment and all the knowledge that you've obtained over time. Like you're giving, you're basically giving people everything, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're giving them the keys of the kingdom. You're not holding anything back. Yeah. Why not? Why would you? Exactly. And that's what a good teacher does. So what is a marker? Yes. A marker by my definition, is any stimulus Mm -hmm. that marks the moment in time and predicts the reinforcer, Mm -hmm. all right? So, like, I like clickers because I think that you can be very precise with the clicker. Yep. What grinds my gears is you can have, you know, as we said, we've got episodes on multiple markers, but you can have multiple markers, and in fact, I think you should. Yep. And they can announce different things. They right. can They can say- Keep going. Uh, yeah, what you're doing right now is good, continue doing it, yep. and you may get reinforcement, or mm-hmm. it might mean what you're doing uh, now is good, you're mm-hmm. finished doing it, go and get reinforcement, or come and get reinforcement, or it could mean come and get food as reinforcement. It could mean come and get both. So, like, you can load that to mean anything you want. Yes. And, in fact, you should – I think you should have multiple. Yeah. Because that opens up more avenues for you. It's a good conversation to have with the dog. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And so – what your marker is, I like clickers because of the precision that it provides. Yeah, it's right? salient. It makes the same sound over and over again without any alteration in the tone it gives. Yeah, well, as close to that as possible, I think, yeah, right? Especially yeah. as compared to a verbal marker. Yeah. But as I say, you need multiple markers, I think. And mm. so you are going to have some verbal markers because your clicker is just one of the many that you can have. Yeah. but Boy, so it can be a verbal marker and often and, and is. Often is, yeah. right? And probably ends up being a marker for- Punishment. Um, yeah. 
yeah. or non-reinforcement. Yes, yes. Right? Yep. And so as I said, then I think a marker, we just said, you know, it marks a moment in time and predicts a reinforcer, but it doesn't necessarily have to predict a reinforcer. Mm. It can predict a punisher if you want. That's right. It can predict anything. Whatever way you teach yeah. it. Mm. So the marker really is, we talk about it in terms of classical conditioning. Like usually we'd say, oh yeah, like when I'm teaching, when I'm teaching markers, it comes under the heading of classical conditioning. Mm. But it's really difficult to separate classical and operant conditioning, right? Because like it starts out as one and becomes the other. So when you're loading a marker, you're yeah. in an operant phase. It's one within the other. Let's say, for example, the use of a clicker. Like if you click it, the sound that makes is Pavlovian because it makes something appear inside your head. Yeah. You know, the minute that goes off, you have a reflex sort of response to it and your head explodes and go, okay, I'm thinking of this. Yeah. But, but that's also an outcome of operant conditioning. That's right. So first of all, when loading a marker, you must first be operant before yep. you can become classical. Yeah. So you've imagine you are using clicker and food and you go click food and the mm -hmm. dog understands that that click leads to food yep. and it seems as though if you're consistent in the way that you're reinforcing when your markers are loaded, it seems as though when I do this action of sitting, mm -hmm. it leads to a click, which leads to food. Therefore, I will, you know, the definition of reinforcement is yep. anything that increases the like the frequency and likelihood of a behavior. Yep. Therefore, I will sit more often, mm. right? So once that's an operant process, yep. but then it becomes a classical process. Yes. And yeah. so then the dog then goes, whilst I'm sitting, when I hear that click, yep. I should no longer sit. And yep. they find themselves feeling as though they are reinforced despite not yet being reinforced. That's the key point, feeling. Yeah. It's the key point that I try and explain to people when they're trying to get their head wrapped around it is the way the dog feels and the reflexiveness of it. Yeah. And mm. that's, I think- True classical conditioning is a reflex response. Yes. And I think that a lot of the time in dog training, certainly with some of my markers that I have in the past used and with some of the commands that I even now use, there's a lot of cognition happening with the dog where the mm. dog goes, okay, you said this, therefore I will do X, right? Yep. A real reflex, there's no choice. Mm. There's no decision-making process. You just find yourself doing it, right? Can in I give you a good example of that? Certainly. We were doing the NDTF this week. We've got one on as we're speaking. Mm -hmm. And Kristen came in with her little dog, Blue, her little Malmar puppy. Mm -hmm. And I got her to show people what response to clicker is. And the puppy was running around the group of people. And Kristen's just sitting there. She's clicking and doing the normal thing that, you know, like you teach a lot with your mm -hmm. skills. Clicking, pup runs straight back and... What does that announce? Mm -hmm. You know, so much kibble from Kristen. Mm -hmm. This is the one that really made sense to everybody. The pup ran down the path because somebody was sitting on a chair down the back, ran down, she clicked. It skidded to a stop, like literally skidded on its side, turned around, ran straight back to her. And everyone went, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. I wish we could have filmed it to show people because it was the perfect descriptor of how a good, powerful clicker should be I trained. Think, I think that's the value of like a reflex response yes. is that you can compel a dog to do things that it wouldn't do if yep. it had the choice. Yeah. Well, like, it stopped it in its tracks. The dog almost couldn't help it. Its brain just went, no, stop. Yeah. And shut it down and run back. Imagine on that run, if you could then say to the dog, like, hey, instead of going to that person, which you clearly find very valuable and on your way to have a lot of fun and interactive gameplay with this person, mm. I'll give you three pieces of kibble if you turn around and come back. Yep. The dog's going to say, fuck your three pieces of kibble. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yeah. But when you hit the clicker, mm. the dog finds itself taking a lesser value or finds itself in a position that 
it's then going back to take the reinforcement and it could be a lesser value, but the way that it would have been loaded is to announce a variable package where it might be the whole meal yeah. or it might be one piece or it could be anything in between. And that's the skill and the psychological trick behind it. Yeah. Mm. One thing I will say on clickers, and I've put uh, quite a lot of sort of content on, on this out, is I think that- People can be anti-clicker and that's fine. I was for a long time myself. Yeah, of course. Most uh, of us were who didn't know anything about it. Yeah. We just don't, we didn't understand it and it was never explained well to us. Yeah. It takes a while to see the value in it. And and there was a few events that led to me seeing the value in it. But I think the way you load a marker, the way you load a clicker can be so important. And, Mm. and, I see less of it now in our circle because I'm hoping that I've kind of influenced people to go away from it. But prior to pushing this information what do you mean by out, that? like Sorry. people that we interact with, right? Yeah. Because it used to be that I would see a lot of people using the clicker as a keep on going signal right, or right, a stay right. in behavior. Yep. And then when I ask people why they would load it that way, they just kind of go, oh, I just have. That's mm. just how I did it. And it's usually when I investigate that and get to the bottom of it, it turns out that it's actually just a function of the way the clicker was loaded, yep. right? Mm. Because the dog knows you have food, right? And he wants the food that's in front of you. He's a good dog. He's engaged in the session. You click, you give food, you click, you give food, you click, you give food. And you are loading your marker. And that's traditionally how a lot of people would load their marker, right? Yeah. But the thing that's happening is the dog's not doing anything. He's mm. sitting right in front of you and you click and you give food and you click and you give food. So the conditioned effect is that when you hear this click, you stay there doing nothing and I will bring food to you. Yep. Right? So a lot of times when I kind of investigate that with people, why do you use the clicker as a keep on going signal? It's just because it it turned out that that's how the dog understood it. So that's how they used it, mm. which is fine. You can have a keep on going signal like that. And there's reasons you might want to use different things. And we can go into detail on that. But I think that that does the clicker a disservice, yep. right? Because the keep on going signal to the dog means you are already doing what I would like you doing. Continue doing that. Mm. And I will bring reinforcement to you while you continue doing that. So yep. in a sit or a down or something like that, that's fine. You should, you can and should do that. Yep. But that requires zero precision. Mm. The dog is already doing it and you want him to continue doing it. Yep. That doesn't need the most precise tool that we're capable of using as dog trainers. Yep. I think that if you're going to use a, a marker for staying in behavior, that's the time to use a, yes. a verbal marker, right? Yeah, use yes or well, chip or whatever you want yeah. to use. It doesn't like you could use Purple Monkey dishwasher. It doesn't yeah, exactly. Matter, right? I like, mean, Gabina Markanova uses the word chip. Yeah. And the reason she uses that is because yes is a commonly spoken word in yeah. the English language. Whereas, I mean, unless you're talking about chips, you you know, like you would rarely bring up that word. It, yeah. it is a sound or a tone that is-, is Probably not, in Czech it meant that it's not even a word at all. That's right. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. So yeah. the point is, is it's an easy word to roll off the tongue that comes out quickly yeah. that you can smash it out and it doesn't actually mean anything that would be brought up in a normal yeah. uh, everyday conversation. I would prefer you use the name of the behavior, but that's another topic and we mm. have a whole videos on that. But- yep. uh, I think that using the clicker as a keep on going signal does it a disservice. The clicker for me is a tool of precision. And so the way that I load the clicker is as terminal, like what you're doing right there and then is the thing that I like. I've captured that moment in time. I've marked that moment in time. You're no longer doing it. Come back to me. That's right. And that's the, that's the edge that people that, uh, when they're struggling about understanding this is they, they say, well, what am I supposed to do after I click the clicker? Mm. Feed your dog. Yeah. And that's the, the thing. The it's, it's, it's over. 
this is how I explained it the other day so people could get their head around it. Sometimes you have to use breakdown analogies on how to use it. And I said, imagine you're in a photo shoot, right? And I'm sitting there and I've got a camera and I take a picture of you and I go, that's it. I got the photo. You can mm-hmm. pack up and finish. Go over and get paid. That's a better analogy to use. Mm-hmm. And they go, but why don't you take more photos? And I said, no, I've got it. I got what I needed. I've set up the scene. I take a photo. You come over and get paid. Job done. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I said, that's what you're doing with your dog. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Totally, yeah. yeah. I like you're, that. You're stealing something in time. Yeah, you mark that moment. Capture yeah. that moment in time. Capture yeah. that moment in time. Yeah. We both said it just in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. So markers for positive reinforcement, like I said, there can be many, 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 and you can have it as a keep on going signal. It can be a release. Yeah. We've also done a lot of content on markers for announcing Punishment, you mm-hmm. could have that. Yep. And, you know, I have quite- a You can big, use very, a clicker for the same thing if yeah, you train it that way. Absolutely. Yep. It's a neutral tone. So yep. uh, I've been pretty outspoken in the past about saying I don't- I would never load a marker for punishment. I had a big argument with someone about this recently. Oh, well, I better hear this. Well, people would say when you are loading your clicker yep. you, and you're, you, you deliver positive reinforcement for nothing, right? Because- in the loading of it, you're going click food, click food. But and you have it. to. You've got to get acquisition to it. Well, that's so that's their argument yeah. is that you could then load a punishment markup because you get acquisition, right? So that's so that you can use it. If you want to use a punishment marker in real life, mm-hmm. how is that any different from you loading a, a marker for positive reinforcement? Because you are for no reason reinforcing the dog in order to load your marker. So yeah, there but are it's people, not for the same behavior and that's the thing. Yeah, but so there are people who would – who make the case that it's okay to load a punishment marker where you say no or whatever, wait one second, and then deliver what would be positive punishment. And the problem is, and like I don't don't agree at all because they're quite right that you are delivering positive reinforcement without a behavior happening. Yeah. But we are using that to build a behavior. So- I'm not real. When I load a clicker, I'm not actually like nothing happens in a vacuum. So when you're reinforcing your dog, you are reinforcing something. Yeah. And the way that I deliver food, what I am building whilst I'm loading my marker mm. is power and enthusiasm. Yep. And what I'm actually reinforcing, especially if, say, loading a clicker, in that it's a terminal release and the dog comes back to me, mm-hmm. the behavior that I'm marking is the coming back to me. Yep. So I am creating a strong behavior and mm-hmm. I'm by ipso facto, I'm teaching a recall, yep. right? And so I am reinforcing something. Mm. If you deliver your marker, if you want to have a session where you would load a punishment marker, you are punishing something. And it's kind of up to the dog to interpret what that would be. Yeah. Right? And so like the old teaching, say, for example, I don't agree with this, but is the old teaching of, say, e-collar finding the the working level when we're sort of in the era of only using the e-collar as an aversive. Yeah. I agree with the technique if you were to do it, but I don't think anyone should do it, is that you take the dog out into the middle of nowhere, like into a field and yep. you just find the level that, to quote someone, should make the dog vocalize and appear to step on a landmine, right? Yeah. Yep. Now that's going to be your aversive level and the dog will recover and like he will he will be aversive that will be it. But the thing is you you that doesn't happen in a vacuum. That's mm. the reason you take the dog out into the middle of nowhere is so that the dog doesn't make an association because the punishment that you're applying will reduce the frequency and likelihood of something. Mm-hmm. And it's up to what the dog interprets that to be. So imagine yeah. imagine you're you know you're at the IPO club or IGP club and 
they say, okay, it's time to bring in some aversives on your dog. And mm. we're here at the club and your dog's now got his e-collar on for the first time and he's just kind of mindlessly looking around. And he's here at the club. Well, and he just happens to look at the blind while you find your working level. Yep. And now looking at the blind mm. is is being punished. Yep. And so like punishment, just like reinforcement, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. A stimulus that is punishing, that will ultimately be punishing, will reduce the frequency and likelihood of something. Yep. And if if you're not in control of what that is when you're – if you're only in control of the stimulus but not what the dog's doing, mm. right, like you are going to aversively stim something. Something is going to become less likely to be ha- to happen. Yeah. And so that's why the old teaching was you take the dog out into the middle of nowhere so that he doesn't make yeah, a yeah, superstitious yeah. association, yeah. right? Well, I acknowledge that and I think that the same is happening then when I load my marker for positive reinforcement is that I am reinforcing something. Yeah. I'm not – I'm not giving the dog food for no reason. Mm. What I am doing is I'm making the dog come to me and I'm showing value in coming to me. And so I am loading a recall. The behavior that I'm teaching when I'm loading my clicker for food is a recall. I agree with that. I agree with the way you do it. The way that we do it with NDTF is slightly different. When we're doing acquisition training, and I agree with you that there is something that the dog is thinking about, and this draws us back to the whole paradigm thinking of what the dog thinks and feels, Mm. you know, Esther's quote. Mm. However, when we're doing it, we have a slight variation where we'll click for no particular, but well, when I say no particular behavior in that sentence, what I'm trying to say is the dog is not getting a continuous click for the same behavior. Like it's not getting click for just sitting or looking at me or anything in particular. Like the dog is doing random behaviors. Yeah. No, so, I do that. that. So primarily what we're doing is we're focusing on training the subconscious to hear, hang on, there's something here. Yeah. You know, and then suddenly the brain switches on to the clicker means I'm getting paid. Yeah. The way that we understand this works is in outcomes. Whenever you look at the how the dog responds to it, the outcome depicts what the dog actually understands of it. So if the, if the dog understands it means a recall, that's fine. I guess if I was complimenting your way over the way that I'm doing it is your dogs probably run in faster than my dogs do. Well, I think that's the only difference because what the dog is doing prior to the click isn't important. Yeah. In fact, I want them to be doing many and various things. Certainly yep. not the same thing all the time. Otherwise, you are teaching a behavior that is that yeah what's important is what happens after the click right yep. and the problem is because the clicker doesn't mean anything in the start the marker doesn't mean anything in the start i have to have a way of making sure that the dog is going to actually come back so that i can load the clicker like yep. i need some other way of doing that mm. and that's why like i actually have a video on this that i'll, I'll put out but that's why, and there's lots of video of me actually doing it. That's why I click, which means nothing to the dog. Mm. And then I make sure the dog is wants the food that I have and I throw a piece yep. so that the dog goes over and gets it. Yep. And then as soon as he's eaten it, I click again mm. so that I can throw another piece. He eats that and I click and he comes back to me. So if those three clicks don't mean shit to the dog. Yeah. I, he's it's just one, getting two, three food process. for free, right? He's yeah. getting food for free. But, you know, eight, nine 12 repetitions later, he's going to start to understand that click predicts that. Yeah. Right? You know, I have a video I'll put out there about why we do it in exactly that way and how it builds that power of flying back and yep. blah, blah, blah. But you are reinforcing something. Yeah. So we've got that. <laughs> yeah. Markers. Well, you reinforce what the dog recognizes. Yeah. Yeah. But so the marker predicts reinforcement and reinforcement yep. can take on many, many forms, right? Mm. Like, so whether it's going to be food or the toy or you know, access to like an area that he wants to go to or gameplay, like anything. It doesn't matter. Like you can have a marker that predicts that, Yeah. right? Oh, I was having a chat with somebody online about this and they were saying, oh, you know, I'm a bit 
concerned about the whole keep on going marker because I kind of feel that jibs the dog. And I said, if you give a proper keep going to the dog, it frustrates the dog into it can actually work in your favor. Mm. If you if you use it properly, that the dog will hear it and go, fuck, it's not exactly what I wanted. And it will push harder in behavior. And I mm. said, once you click, that's the end of it. Mm. I said, it drops off after that. Mm. What's your thoughts? I think the keep on going signal has very limited use. Yep. I think that you're the problem that I have, and we, we've discussed this, the, the issue I have with the keep on going signal means that you're on the right track, keep going. Yep. Is that the absence of the keep on going signal therefore means you're on the wrong track, try something else. Yep. And so if you're able to forever give- Oh, the, you shouldn't be doing it in like bang, bang, bang. Yeah, but yeah. even at all, because yeah. then the its absence is an indicator to the dog that it should try something else. Like for me personally, I prefer- the keep on going signal is only ever used in in static behaviors mm-hmm. and I use the name of the behavior rather than a different marker. Okay. So like if my dog is in a down, I'll say to him down despite the fact that he is. And, and you've experimented with this? Yeah, we've got a, there's a, I've done a whole there's a whole Patreon episode on exactly this. Okay. I need to re-listen to that one. Yeah, it's one of the ones I did on the in the videos. So yep. and it definitely works. Yeah. But that's not to say that it works any better than so here's the problem, right? Let me explain it to you. This is go. This go. I go into detail in the video, but yep. imagine your dog is in a down, and your keep on going signal is good, mm-hmm. right? You tell your dog good, yep, right, and and that means to the dog, it's likely that we haven't got to a variable schedule explaining here, but it means to the dog, it's likely that I may or may not walk over to you and give you food, yep, right. That's the that's the contract that you've established with your dog in a keep on going signal. Mm-hmm. You stay there doing what you're doing. I'll come to you and deliver reinforcement, right? You're limited by reinforcers in a keep on going signal because uh, it has to be some kind of reinforcer that the dog can take and complete the behavior. So therefore you're you're limited by behaviors. You can't heal and tug at the same time, Mm -hmm. right? So you're limited by the behaviors you can use a keep on going signal in effectively. And you're limited by reinforcers you can give in Mm -hmm. a behavior. So that's a couple of limiting factors. Then imagine that dog is in a down And most people can read when their dog is about to break it down, right? You can kind of see it. What would you say to your dog if you were looking at him in a down and he was about to break position, what would you say? Up. Right. So you would use your marker for like negative punishment, Mm -hmm. right? That says, hey, there's no success in breaking that down. And that will likely likely work. Mm -hmm. Why would your dog want to break the down is because he thinks – there's no value in this down. Yeah. There is value somewhere else. Mm. Why does a dog do anything? Is to better his own yeah. situation. Yep. Yep. So he's in a down and he goes, you know what? This down isn't holding enough value for me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get up and go and find value elsewhere. Yep. And if you read that in your dog, when you give your uh-uh or uh, your marker for non-reinforcement, mm-hmm. you're telling the dog you will not find success in the other thing that you're doing. Yep. In some cases, some people would do that. And by saying that, they're telling the dog, you will find discomfort. It might be a marker for negative reinforcement or back into the behavior, which mm-hmm. you know could then be interpreted as punishment for disobedience. That's yep. a spinning wheel of negative reinforcement mm-hmm. and positive punishment. So when you look at your dog and he's about to break position, you go, uh-uh, and the dog goes, oh, okay, I won't do it. The reason he was going to break position is because he thought there's not enough value in this. Yep. Now- what I've never seen anyone do is when their dog is about to break position, say, good. Mm-hmm. But if they did, that would tell the dog, 
you're about to bring food to me. I should stay in this position. There is value in staying in this position. Yep. Right? You'll get the same effect. The dog will stay in position if the markers and the dog understands it. Mm -hmm. But in one way, the dog is staying in position to either avoid discomfort or just learning that there's not there's not the value he thought somewhere else. Yep. And now he's in his mind, he goes back into holding the down because he thinks, well, I didn't think there was value here, but I've been guaranteed there's no value somewhere else. I guess I'm stuck here in this kind of no man's land, this limbo space, yep. right? Yep. Whereas if when you read the play of your dog's about to break the down and you said to him, good, he would go, oh, okay, I will stay here because it's possible that you are about to bring over food to me. I, yep. Maybe I'm on a variable schedule of that. But that's counterintuitive. You're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. So the success that I see in giving the name of the behavior as the keep on going signal mm -hmm. is that if my dog's in a down and I can read that my dog is about to break the down, I can re-give that signal, which not only tells him that that's the specific behavior that he should continue doing yep. because it is the name of the behavior, but also is at a variable schedule of that, which means that having said it again means that I may be about to come and reinforce you in position. Mm -hmm. So the effect is the same, but the mindset of the dog is different. One, he's doing it because he goes, oh, okay, I know this is what you want me to do and it will lead to reinforcement. Yep. And the other is a dog going, oh, okay, I know this is what you want me to do because there will be no success anywhere else, mm -hmm. right? So to the observer, it's going to look the same. And the only difference is going to be what deep, the dog within, deep within the head of the dog. Yep. And that's why that's the main reason why I like to use the name of the behavior as the keep on going signal. Mm -hmm. Because it's not what the dog will interpret. The dog, will, If you looked at the dog and as he's about to break position said, good, he would stay in position. I've done plenty of experiments with that, right? Yep. But no one's going to say that because the dog is in that moment not doing good. Well, the problem for them is that they haven't translated it properly to the dog. Yeah. Well, so no, the but dog they have. They have perfectly. But you, are, as your dog's about to break the down, you're not going to say good. Yeah. No one's going to do that because that's counterintuitive, right? Mm. Like in that spur of the moment, your dog is literally about to break the command you just gave. You're mm. not going to look at the dog and go, good boy, about to break the command. And yep. then that would change the dog's mind and have him not do it, mm -hmm. right? But what you will do is go, hey, I told you to down. Mm -hmm. So you'll look at the dog and go down yep. and the dog goes, oh, sweet. Yeah. You are going to pay me for this. This mm -hmm. I am on the right track. I yeah, am yeah, doing that the right makes behavior. Sense. You yep. are going to pay me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that's why I like that. Well, you know, as we pointed out before, if you translate it well to the dog, if the dog understands what that means, you'll get a depicting behavior from it. I think the classic saying that we've told people before is your dog is a product of its environment. Whatever you teach, it will do. Yeah, that's And whatever right. you reinforce, you'll get more of. Yeah. And when I put that episode in the Patreon explaining all of that and explaining how to do it and even explaining how to put the stim into that yep. so that you can then, you don't even need to give the command. You could stim the dog while it's in the position and have the dog understand I should stay in this position. Yeah. Actually uh, had Rob in Canada tell me that he implemented it and- it worked perfectly in that he was in the blind watching his dog from, you know, like in the long down, mm -hmm. watch the dog get distracted by something else. And he could read that his dog was about to break position without giving any commands. He stimmed the dog at a low level and he watched the dog's ears flick up and the dog was aroused, like was like, fuck yeah, I am on the right track. Immediately stopped with the interest yep. in the distraction that it was looking on mm -hmm. and then went back to staring intently at the blind, knowing that that predicted him perhaps going to come out of the blind and pay me. Don't have to yep. yell anything, but it was all electronic, right? Yep. So there's a whole video on how to do that. Sorry, as I was saying then before I sidetracked myself, is that 
it doesn't work right away. You have to load it. Yep. So I had people say, oh, I tried it mm. and my dog was in a sit and I said sit and he like hovered his ass off the ground and slammed it into the ground again. I go, yeah, because he, he doesn't understand that it means continue. It right. means yes. do it. Yep, yep, and so yep. he's then going, oh, I've, I'm obviously not doing it well enough. I'll try again. Mm-hmm. You just have to be persistent. You just say sit, give him food and position, even accept the ass hover and it will go away. Yep. But it's like, it's a marker that has to be loaded. It's a, it's, you know, it's a closed Well, system. they have to experiment before they understand. Yeah. But so changing to that, if you're a person that has been using a lot of keep on going signals and good and, you know, yep. has a in behavior, you can't just one day say, I'm going to start using the name of the behavior and it be effective. You have to one day go, all right, because I'm changing criteria, I have to accept some downgrade of yep. response while I change criteria. And within enough repetitions that the dog understands it, yep. the dog will then stay in the behavior. But it won't work right away because people – like I had a lot of feedback on that, people saying it's not working for my dog. I'm like, no, it shouldn't work right away. You have to teach it. Mm, you, have to, mm. you have to give that word that value. Yep. Yeah, it has mm. to be conditioned. Yes. Mm. So markers – Cleared something up that I was a bit foggy on. Yeah. Mm. So reinforcement, we've you know just gone through that. But yep. anything that the, the dog is anything that is going to increase the frequency and likelihood of the behavior, mm-hmm. right? So variable package versus variable schedule. Mm-hmm. That's the next thing I think that's important to understand. In that, I think when you are in a learning phase you have to reinforce the dog every time the dog does the behavior, Yep. right? So that, and again, we'll use the example of sitting. If you'd get the dog to sit, you know, by hook or by crook, you get him to sit, whether you lure him or you're using, pre- whatever, it doesn't yep. matter, right? Yep. He sits in the learning phase. Every time that happens, you mark, yep. you deliver the reinforcer. Yep. How do you know when you're ready to leave the learning phase is that the behavior is on command. When you can... I think the textbook says eight out of 10 times, right? Well, I mean, look, there's interpretation on that. And generally what we talk about when we're doing the NDTF course is the way to recognize that is what we call the transition. When the dog is transitional, is showing you an attempt to try and do the behavior on its own. It's like when a kid comes to you with training wheels on the bike and they're saying, I can't ride my bike properly with these things on there anymore. Mm. You know, they can actually have a physical conversation with you and they're saying, can you take them off or can you lift them up or do something with them? What we're looking for is a process with the dog where the dog is saying, you know, hold my beer, bro. I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah. I think that the KPI for that yep. is that you tell the dog to do it and they do it. Yeah. And I say 10 out of 10 times. Like if you're teaching a dog to sit, yep. you, you tell the dog to sit and he does it. Yeah. And then you click and you give reinforcement. Yeah. And, and that happens 10 times in a row. Yeah. You're like, okay, he knows He's this good. behavior. He yeah. understands this behavior. Yeah. But the so, transition is something you should be looking for as a trainer anyway. Like you only hold a dog in that holding pattern until the dog shows you that it's ready to go. Yeah. And you call it 10 out of 10. We call it the 90% rule. I mean, that's just a play on words basically. But And I agree with, you know, the more certain you can be, the better it is. Yeah. Yeah. But in that learning phase – you must reinforce. You're on a consistent reinforcement schedule then. Yep. Right? Yep. Every time the dog does the behavior, he gets marked and he gets reinforced. Absolutely. But what you do have room to play with is the variable package of reinforcement, not yep. the schedule, but mm. the package. Of how much food are you going to give him? Whether it's give him an amount of food, the the way you deliver food can change the way that the, that is reinforcing. Right? Yep. So if yep. you're like, here's one piece of kibble presented in my hand, yep. that to some dogs is worth one unit of reward. Yep. Well, that same unit of kibble in, in a treat chase game, now yep. that could be two or three units yeah, yeah, of reward. Yeah, good right? point. So- 
you should something over, overlooked a lot too. Yeah, totally yeah, right. Yeah. The way you deliver a reinforcer will change yep. the value of the reinforcer yeah. for sure. And then it might even be that you, and certainly this is what I like to do, is that I like to start training with a lower value reinforcer. And before I would name a behavior or call a behavior ready to leave the learning phase, mm. the dog will perform it in the presence of the highest value reinforcer. Yeah. Right? So- you know, take for example, let's remove bite work from the equation and say, like, for my dog, that's the chuck it. The highest, like, I'd nearly lose him in arousal. As soon as I pull out the ball, it, just a normal ball in a chuck it throw. Yep. He loses his mind. That's the highest value you can get. You yep. know, probably if you were to ask him why, it's that he likes to sprint. That's one of his main things is that mm-hmm. he likes to sprint and it's chasing, blah, blah, blah. So I wouldn't dream of trying to teach him a behavior in the presence of that chucket, but I would still call myself in the learning phase when the chucket comes out because I'll teach it with food, then the ball, then the frisbee, then like, you know, a tug kind of game and then the chucket. And what I like to do is when I'm going to name the behavior, I will wait until I can perform the behavior with the disposable name. So, you know, if, if your dog is reliably, performing the behavior, there is a name. Mm-hmm. There is a name already. You just haven't given it, right? Yep, yep. And and so acknowledging that, I prefer to take charge of that and use a disposable name. And mm-hmm. so, again, when people would have seen that circle video thing that I put into Patreon, for me, it's go. Yep. I tell my dog, if I'm teaching my dog a new behavior, I say go. And that, be, that says to the dog, like, do what you think is right, mm-hmm. right? And then when it's time to name the behavior, I'm saying go, the dog does it and he gets reinforced. Then I will say, sit, wait one second, go, then he'll perform the behavior. And go is my disposable command that I then You can fade it, right? And then Mm. classically, my new command of sit takes over. But I don't do that until I am reinforcing the dog at what I think is his highest level. Now, if your dog only, if you're doing board and train or whatever, and your dog is only taking food- that's fine. Like if you're always training with food, imagine you're a person that only trains with food. Yep. Uh, you, I still would do the same process, but it would be prior to the most engaging and reinforcing way I can deliver the food is when I would add the name. Yep. Because when you talk about classical conditioning, that's where the chain gets set. Mm-hmm. The dog then goes, when I hear that name, when I hear sit, I perform the action of putting my ass on the ground yep. and that leads to the highest value reinforcer, right? And so that's the gar- that's the contract that you're establishing with the dog. I say sit, you put your ass on the ground, I throw the ball out of the chucket. I mark and throw the ball out of the chucket and that's the process. And so all along the learning phase, we're playing with the variable package, mm-hmm. what Michael Ellis would use the term the reward event, Yep. right? But there's always some reinforcer, some reasonable reinforcer, right? Yep. Then when you can tell the dog to do it and 10 times in a row, tell my dog to sit, he sits, I mark, I throw the chuck it. That's when I go, he understands this behavior. I'm going to the variable schedule of reinforcement. Mm -hmm. That's the learning phase. Deep, isn't it? Well, there's a lot to it. Yeah. And that's why like each one of these little topics has like an hour long video. Yeah. But so then my next thing, well, this is where so many people go wrong. And this is where the question has come up in our From group a couple of times. Where do we make the step? Yeah. Right. What I think is lost is that people 
especially in pet dog training, because it's not so important. Mm -hmm. Like in the sport world, we know I'm going to enter that field and my dog is expected to do 20 minutes of strung out behaviors without any reinforcement, right? But in in the pet dog world, and I'm talking like just no, like, you know, any sport, it doesn't matter, Mm. but where there's no requirement to ever fade the lure or the reinforcer, people find themselves, I think, stuck in the continuous schedule because there's no need to get rid of it. Now, there's plenty of benefits in getting rid of it, but there's no requirement, right? Because if you're walking your dog happily down the street and you Mm. want it to stop at the edge of of the road and sit with you and wait while you wait for cars and then cross the street, there's no need for you ever to not pay the dog every time he does that. In fact, you know, why, why not? You've got your little treat pouch. You're happily walking down the street. Your dog sits. Why not give him a little, a little treat? Yeah. But the danger of that is extinction. If you, if you like leave for a period of time, then come back and expect the behavior to be at the level that you left it off. By what do you mean? Well, this is the process in continuous schedule of reinforcement. Like the 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 threat to continuous schedule of reinforcement is it's, is it's prone to extinction. Like a, It's like not charging your mobile phone, you know, for argument's sake, unless you're doing it over and over again. Like if you're locked in that process, no problem. If you can guarantee that you can do it all the time, you're going to get strength in the behavior. It's a given. And the dog will repeat that same behavior because that's where it's, its best life is repeating. And it's a, it's a positive feedback loop. Do the behavior, get the reinforcement. Yeah. The problem is for a lot of people is if they're doing that, let's say they go on a month holiday and they come back and they expect that behavior to be where it is. It may not be there. The dog might have gone, well, this is not happening anymore. Or worse still, if you then stop doing the reinforcement every time you're sitting at the lights or something like that, then you're at danger of extinction in that process as well. Yeah, well, that's the risk. Yeah. Effectively, as we explain it is, it's like a a mobile phone. It needs to be charged every night. You know, like there needs to be some form of charge going back into it or you're prone to extinction. Mm. Mm. Your goal then is to get to a variable schedule. Yep. And- where I think people go wrong with going to a variable schedule is that they just go, I'm teaching my dog to sit. Yep. They'd get the dog to sit and then they go, oh, variable schedule, no payment. And then the dog's like, okay, but what do I do now? Mm. Right? Because this is where people end up having to use a stay command. Like I never use a stay command because you, you stay. Don't need to. You will sit like, means sit stay. means sit until yeah. I tell you to do something else. Yep. Right. Or, yep. or I click. Right. Yep. yep. So, where people go wrong is they then go, okay, sit. And then they go, okay, well, I understand. I'm positive you know this. You're going to a variable schedule. I'm not going to pay you this time. Mm-hmm. And then the dog's in this sort of limbo of like, okay, but am I done sitting? Right? Yep. Like what's happening here? And then they go, okay, like you're free. Go do whatever you want. And the problem is go do whatever you want is a form of reinforcement. Yep. It's just the shitty one. Yeah. Right. So you're still on a continuous or is schedule. It? Is it? Depending on how the dog fe- thinks and feels. Well, if you if he goes and lays down on the floor, that's what he wanted to do. So yep. that's his reinforcement at yeah. that moment. He's no longer sitting. Mm. So the only way that you can really effectively go to a variable reinforcement is to ask for something else. To right. Do. I agree. A faster sit, a more efficient sit. Well, no, like a, a down. So when I tell my dog to sit, if I want to go, I am not paying you for that sit, yep. I now have to ask you to down. Hang on, hang on. Let me explain else. myself just so we're clear on this. Like if you were teaching a sit, right, okay, and you're on a continuous schedule of reinforcement because you're getting the dog to perform the behavior. Mm-hmm. But let's say, for example, you want the dog to do a faster sit or a mm-hmm. closer sit to you. Mm-hmm. You'd have to go to a variable schedule so you can actually teach the dog, well, you need to do something else mm-hmm. in the behavior, which is what we talked about before. So if I want the dog to sit faster, 
I'm going to have to withhold the treat. So he learns to sit faster, like he shapes into the new criteria of the behavior. Mm. And then I say, now I'm rewarding you again. Now I'm back on continuous because you're sitting faster for me. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or do you disagree? I disagree. Why? Because it works for me. Yeah. So I'm not saying it doesn't work. It's just not how I would do that. Yeah. Because I think you run the risk of dipping into it being negative punishment. You didn't get, right? So- like you're hoping then that the dog goes, well, I will try harder mm-hmm. in order to get the reinforcement. It's possible that if the behavior isn't set, if you want a different criteria, then I would have taught that criteria and I would consider yourself in the learning phase. Yep. If you want to change the criteria, you're in the learning phase. Mm-hmm. And so instead of being at a variable schedule there, you have- but you to- are in a learning, even though you are in technically a training phase with the the sit that you asked for, to start with, that's migrated across from teaching to training phase, okay? But now you're saying, okay, I know you know how to sit, but now I need it faster. Like I'm asking for like a, an addition to the criteria. Mm-hmm. You sit well, but you don't sit fast enough, mm-hmm. okay? Now I want it speedier. Like you're doing it within three seconds. I want it within, let's say, two. I mm-hmm. want to shave a second off, mm-hmm. okay? Now I'm asking for new criteria from the dog. Mm-hmm. So now I'm starting to withhold the treat because I want the dog to learn. Yeah, there is some confusion going on there a little bit. And when we're teaching new criteria, we have to relax the old criteria, okay? Mm -hmm. So now the dog experiments, okay, gets it wrong a few times, then suddenly gets it right, gets a good payout for Mm. it. So we are back in teaching phase because we're actually saying to the dog, I want it faster, Mm -hmm. okay? And the reason I know this works is because I've experimented with hundreds of dogs with it. And yes, it's frustrating. The dog does go through a period of frustration, but then it works, Mm -hmm. you know, and when it does, the dog gets paid well for it. And then Mm -hmm. we go back to a continuous schedule of reinforcement to get the faster sit. Mm -hmm. So the dog goes, oh, right, I've got it now. I understand what you wanted. I wasn't clear on it before, but now I am. Okay, but so the first time the dog, everything's going well, the dog's sitting, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And then the first time you decide to up the criteria and not deliver the reinforcer, Mm -hmm. then what do you say to the dog when he sits not fast enough? I don't say anything. So how does he know? He knows through experimentation. Right. The dog starts to experiment with it. So you tell the dog to sit. Yep. It reliably takes him four seconds to sit. Mm Mm-hmm. And you've been reinforcing that all along. Yep. And then you decide, okay, I want it to be sub three seconds. You tell him to sit, it takes more than four seconds. Yep. How does he know not to just stay in that sit? Oh, okay. So I can have a marker for that just to say, you know, that's that's not worth anything. You're not getting anything. So you would give a non-reward marker? I'd give a non-reward marker. So I'd just say to the dog, there's nothing in that, bro. You're not getting paid. Mm -hmm. I want the dog to become frustrated. I want the dog to actually have a bit of a what's going on here. Mm -hmm. You know, this was working well for me, but it's not now. Mm -hmm. So now what I get the dog into is a state of mind where the dog is saying, okay, well, I have to try something different. Mm -hmm. And that's where we finally get it into. Now- Even if I find that the dog is, you know, like he's gone through a struggle and you're saying all of a sudden I've gone from three second sit to a four to five second sit. If the dog goes like he pushes back and starts going back to a three second sit, I'll reward that again Mm -hmm. because I'll say that you're going in the right direction again now. Mm -hmm. You know, this this is what I want. Mm -hmm. I want I'm shaping you back into the right direction of a faster sit. Mm Ultimately, what I've taught the dog to do is experiment with the behavior a bit. Like Mm -hmm. don't just settle for a three-second sit and that's it. Because if I constantly reinforce that, if I'm on a continual schedule of reinforcement for that, I'll get that for the rest of the dog's life. Mm -hmm. Or one day he might accidentally do it, which I can reinforce, but he won't understand it until he's struggled a bit with it. Mm. That's at least my thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. I would then say that – well, two things. Mm. I reckon there's a risk there – of 
the dog interpreting it as negative punishment and obviously it works. You've done it a million yep. times. Mm. But the risk of someone listening to us trying that too early would be try doing it too early. You don't try the, it too early. Yeah. Well, yeah. so that's the issue then. Dog yep. the, and the dog going, oh, maybe I'm wrong about this whole sitting because I'm no longer being reinforced for it. Yeah. Rather than being like, no, I'm 100%. I am certain at sitting, I'll just try a faster version of the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what you're counting on, right? Yep. Is that the dog is, I'm a hundred percent certain yep. that sitting is putting my ass on the floor. The only thing I'm willing to change is doing it faster mm-hmm. rather than doing that too early would then have the dog go, I must be wrong about what it is that you want here. I'll offer it down, right? Yeah. And that is the risk that, that can happen, yep. but there's no reinforcement for that. So yep. the dog can experiment with different types of behaviors. It's just not going to get anything for it yep. until it actually does the right type of behavior. Mm -hmm. Let's take, for example, when you're teaching complex skills, all right, dogs to ride skateboards or starting to walk on things. You have to dip in between a continuous schedule of reinforcement and an intermittent or variable schedule of reinforcement, or you'll never break the back of the behavior Mm. because the dog will just stay in the behavior at once. It will look at the object, but never stop that cycle. Mm. So all you're doing is just cycling through that behavior. Yeah. Whereas soon as you say to the dog, okay, that's, that's no longer rewardable today. You know, it was for the last couple of days because that's exactly what I want. But now I actually want you to go to Towards it, I want you to deep dive into that behavior. I want you to investigate it further. Yeah. So you're ripping the dog out of a comfort zone and making the dog uncomfortable to explore the behavior further. Yeah. So then I would put that in the category of like successive approximations towards what is the actual end product behavior. But how is that different to the sit? Well, because the dog needs to learn, it it needs to go through the challenge of it and understand in its headspace that I need to actually start to explore this behavior more because what was rewardable no longer is. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Mm. But what if the dog barked while, like, through frustration of trying to figure it out, if he barked, if he sat super fast, yep. but also barked? That's a risk. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. That, yeah. that sort of thing has happened before. That has happened with dogs before where they get a bit bit of leakage through, you know, yeah. like drive. And the, like Randy's done that before. And I thought, fuck. Yeah, that that is a hard one. Because then you've got then that you run the risk superstitious. Of, of a superstitious behavior. Yeah. yeah. Because if you think, if I bark, that's what led me to getting the reinforcer. Yeah. If that was Barking's the case. Barking's a fucker. That is a fucker. And, and you've just thrown a spanner in my theory. Well, and, and something I want to stipulate is because I oh, it, barking is one of the reasons I don't like doing it that way. Yeah. And what I will put out there for anyone that's seen my dog work, my dog barks like a motherfucker in the work, mm. but it's he's a barky dog. It's not as superstitious behavior. It's leaking for him. Like yep. he is like. It's the same with Randy. Randy yeah. leaks when he's doing some work, but with, where, especially with you in, in bite work. But where my dog does have a superstitious bark is in the stand. Yeah. So it's from the sit to stand, he will bark. Yeah. And, and sometimes you have to sacrifice that. Well, it, you don't want to. I've gone it's to- the least likely thing you want to, and you think, fuck, it's why did a, that happen? It's a fucking seesaw for me because yep. I- Here's a problem, right? Mm. There's no stand in PSA. So I taught the stand in a way that I- wasn't I would knew I was never going to use that on a competition field. Yep. There's no requirement to ever make him stand. Mm. And I wanted the stand to look powerful and be more of a guard. And yep. I taught on the clack clack and I use it till frustration. So he he stands angry. Right. And I like That's why that. he barks. That yeah. But yep. and it it if you were to ask him for sure he would say, I'm meant to bark when I stand. Yeah. For sure he would yeah, say that. Because he understands it. That's how he interpreted yeah. it. Yeah. And 
in PSA, it's never going to cause me a problem. But now mm. as like, if I want to try and do another sport, it's going to be an issue for me. Yeah. And I seesaw back and forth because I've gone through many ways of trying to get him to stop doing that, exhausting him and then yep. asking him to stand and then still reinforcing where he goes like, oh. But it's recessive, right? It just pops up at the worst <laughs> fucking time that you want it to happen. And what I found the most success in doing it is mm. make him hold a pipe, like an incompatible yep. behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, every now and again, that fucking bark comes back. <laughs> and it's really difficult because there's mm. no, I can't aversively stim that away because to do that, I would also be punishing the stand, mm. right? Because he's convinced that that's part of the same criteria. Yeah. So it's very difficult thing. It's why yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I try to avoid it. And so what I go for now um, is a line from Bart is speed comes from understanding. Mm -hmm. And so like, if I want to speed up my sit, I will just pay like crazy for the shitty version of the sit and I'll make yep. the dog fall in love with the behavior yep. and the speed will come from that. Yep. And it like, I definitely on board with you. You're doing it your way. will get it faster, mm. but there are inherent risks. There are risks. There are definitely risks, but they're, they're calculated risks as well. Yeah. You know, like, and the only way, as I said before, the only way you know this to be true is when you've had the luxury of experimentation on it. The luxury that I've had is I've played with plenty of pet dogs for people and it's no harm, no foul. It's not, I'm not, yeah, yeah. I'm not losing points on a sports field by doing this, yeah. you know? And when, when I do it with people and I make a mistake, it's like, oh, oh, well. You know, you know. that's something I, I I find myself in coaching calls telling people quite a lot and they're like, oh, you know, like I, I want to do more flashy obedience stuff, but I train pet dogs. I'm like, what teach for? them flashy obedience because mm. like, no, if they want to learn tricks. that, yeah, flashy no, but they want to learn flashy obedience, like to get better at it for their okay. ultimate yeah, yeah, competition. Yeah, dog. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, cool. teach the pets the flashy Exa shit. Exactly. Make all the mistakes there exactly. because the owners will- They like, don't care. They love it. They, they, yeah. the, the, anything's a bonus. Yeah. Anything above not pulling on the lead and staying in their position. Yeah. Like that is all they wanted. And literally folks, that's what saves dogs lives. Yeah, that's right. You know, like the number one killer that we see in the world with pet dog training is- um, jumping, pulling, and not staying. Yeah. So those three things. As a trainer, you get to hone your skills for the 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 competition mm. dog that you will eventually get or yep. your own dog or whatever. And all you're doing is producing a higher standard yeah, than yeah, what yeah. the people want. I'm wanted. with you. I agree. And you get the process. It, where it becomes an issue is when people get upset that the owners don't continue it. Like they're yep. not going to continue it. They just need a functional. They need functional obedience, not flashy yeah. obedience. Develop your core elements, like the ones that I just talked about, and then do all the other ones as bonus for you. Yeah. yeah. And and that's exactly like, this is why me and you can have this conversation because I've done this to shit tons of dogs yeah. that are under the bridge now. Like I don't like- I can go down now and pull um, 10 dogs out of a kennel and no one cares. Yeah. You know, and do whatever I want to try and experiment as long as I'm not doing it to the detriment of the dog. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and I think that's one of the cool things about like having a boarding kennel full of dogs like that is like the dogs yeah, I've that got are, 60 dogs in my backyard right now. Yeah, but yeah. the dogs that are in there for boarding, not training. They're, they're pets. But you can get them out and train them to your heart's content Absolutely. and experiment Any with one behaviors. Yeah. And you can, I won't out her. Yeah, I will. So, <laughs> 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 well- very cleverly, Jazz yep. has that foster dog she's got yep. at the moment, mm. and she is teaching it very nice flashy obedience, as you'd expect her to do. Yep. But she is teaching that in a foreign language commands, yep. so that when the dog gets put into like the next home, the people will never use those foreign. They don't languages. know how to fuck it up, and yep. then if they want help, and she can then say, "Hey, these are the your dog actually already knows this stuff. These yep. are the commands." But if they want to be a person that trains a dog, then they can start from scratch in English. And but she's already loading that dog up for its best life now. That's right. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that there's no harm that can come mm. of teaching your dog awesome shit that nobody else a will ever absolutely. do. It, right? Absolutely. Like, mm. and, and 
it's sitting in there dormant, ready to come out. Yep. It's like a, I always sort of talk about, there was a guy um, at a certification that I helped out with in the States who failed the healing component mm. because he just stopped reinforcing his own healing. There's a long story for that. It, it actually all stemmed from an outing issue, right? Because yep. he stopped reinforcing because he couldn't get any toys back. Like it was a, it was a whole issue, right? Mm-hmm. But it was a KMPV dog. And so the, he'd had the dog for three years. And I just showed him, I was like, no, your dog knows how to heal on the right. Like to pass your certification right here, right now, you can tell the dog to heal on the right. And he's like, no, he doesn't know how to heal on the right. I'm like, I promise you he does. He's He's got a PH1 certificate. Like he knows how to heal on the right. And he will do it because there's a reinforcement history in having done it. And it, despite you not having ever done it in three years, it will happen, mm. right? It'll be clunky to start with, but so long as we reinforce in that position, that behavior has been laying there dormant, yep. ready to go. And it's recallable. Yeah, it's mm. going to come out so yeah. long as the reinforcement happens when it does. And yep. exactly what happened, I did it with the dog. I figured out his command. And when I eventually, he he came into that like right side heel, like, hey, seems like you speak Dutch. Yep. And then I was like, huzzah, surprise. <laughs> like here's some reinforcement. He goes, oh, cool. I'll put that back in my bank of regular behaviors that I do. Yep. And so that's what you can do as a pet dog trainer with a bunch of dogs. You can put a bunch of cool behaviors into them and never even tell the owners that it's there, yep. right? Because it's not going to do any detriment. Yeah. And if they ever say to you like, hey, we wanted. We decided we want to do flashy obedience. He goes, surprise! It's already <laughs> <preloaded> there. <laughs> it. <laughs> the software's in your dog. All we got to do is activate it. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Right. Back in the day, I did that with a dog when I was training at Wonga Park, which uh, my old mate Scott Winter's got now, Homestead mm-hmm. Kennels. And I was working there. I was doing my board and train there. And back in those days, I was really involved in AMKC training. Mm-hmm. I find it boring and frustrating now, but, um, <laughs> well, it's just, that's me. You know, other people are still loving it and having the, living their best life. And as long as they're doing something with the dog, I've got no beef on it. Yeah. But I trained a dog there, was a golden retriever, and the, the owners, all they w- wanted to do was not run away. But she was so fucking good, this dog. Yeah. Like, and I've got to say, I'm, it had to be a, a component of my talent plus the dogs, but the dog just gave me everything. It was one of those YouTube magician dogs. Mm. You know, like if, if I had YouTube back in the day, I could have put me and this dog on there and the dog would have made me look amazing. Yeah, yeah. She fucking responded to everything. Yeah. And I showed the owners and they were like, oh, that's great. Does she not run away? And I, <laughs> like I was heartbroken. Yeah. You know, like I was showing other people and they're going, man, that is fucking magic. Yeah, like yeah. you have really cranked out the best in that dog. But I'm, I'm th- sitting there thinking, yeah, but I kind of feel like a fraud because this dog is just complying with everything. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those dogs that just gobbled everything up. Yeah. Kind of like Randy and Remco, you know, yeah, they're, yeah. they're just dogs that just fucking- Beg to be trained. Beg to be trained, you know, like they're just, they're open vessels going, give it to me, bro. I want it all. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, 90% of the population lands with the dog and goes, nah, bro, that's too much, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, that was heartbreaking for me because the dog really responded well. They looked at it and they were just like, oh, that's cool, bro. That's nice. And we'll never use any of that. Yeah. They were appreciative of it, of course. And I mean, you know, I used to get this dog back three or four times a year and I offered to buy the dog. You know, long story. Yeah, I have to buy it. Terrible story behind it, but I won't go into it because it nearly makes me bawl. Oh, God. No, it's terrible. I think you bring out a, a fantastic point there and mm. it's only an issue if you expect the owners to carry on with it. Like, yes. So if you just want to do it for your own well, You just got to let it go. You got to let it go. Yeah, you, but you, so whether it's practice or just like to keep yourself loving your job, you yep. can totally teach dogs more than what the people of art paid you to teach them and just mm. never even tell them that it's in there. Well, if anybody works in board and train or, you know, they're involved in even rescue centers where they're working with dogs long time. When those people tell me they're getting bored with their job, I'm just thinking you've missed the point. 
You know, you've missed the luxury of what's sitting in your lap right yeah. now. Things that budding dog trainers beg for. Yeah. Like you should be experimenting all the time to teach your not let's not talk about the dog living its best life, because it will anyway. If you if, if if it's getting out in the field with you and doing stuff, you as a trainer, as a budding trainer or even a veteran trainer can live your best life by teaching that dog a gamut of skills yeah. and testing your metal because you have the luxury of experimentation with no harm. No foul. Yeah. Everyone benefits from this. The more the dog gets in, like the dog's getting actively more stimulation, like you can get the dog out and do stuff. There was a dog here that was barking its guts out a while ago and it was just stressed. It'd never been here before. So I went in and, you know, like did a whole positive first thing with the dog. Went in there, made friends with the dog, got the dog to calm down. And I could see the dog was just really wound up and wasn't going to sleep well that night. So I took the dog out and did some training with it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's three o'clock in the morning. It's fucking freezing. But I thought, look, I'm wide awake now. There's no way. I'm going to get back into bed and sleep. So I just took the dog out into the into the concrete area and just did some obedience with the dog. And the dog was just fucking thumping into it. Mm-hmm. I put the dog away. It was exhausted. I was exhausted. We both went to sleep. Perfect. Happily ever after. Perfect. I mean, that happens quite a fair bit with those type of dogs because I think, well, look, I'm up now. I might as well do it. I'm resentful that I'm up, but let's turn that into something productive. Let's mm-hmm. burn that energy and, you know, let's turn it around. Folks, if you're not doing that, if you're involved in these sort of schemes and you're not doing things like that, you're wasting everyone's time. Mm. You could be better spending productive time doing it. Mm. Mm. Swing it back around. So, geez, you've really, you really, you know, like you really got me thinking just in, <laughs> like, no, it is. It's, it's impressive where you've come in such a short time, how deep you think about these subjects. I know I've credited you and given you compliments on it before, but there's a lot of people that I've known in the industry who have been in it, you know, like, decades longer than you have and they still I don't know they just seem to have wasted their time not well I think it relates to exactly what we were just talking about there is like you can just stay doing the same shit every day and become stagnant and bored yeah or you can keep searching for the answers and like I say I was on uh, the Super Serious Dog podcast. Yeah, I saw that. I checked it out. Yeah. I was talking to the girls about it. And I can't remember what I mentioned in their Patreon part or in their normal part. I was saying that there's certain things that I teach now mm. and try and you know, really talk people into doing and certainly with clients and people in the club, I say, do it this way. And then I get my dog out and I'm doing it a different way. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like- Do as I say, don't do as I do. Well, and they say, you told me to do, to teach this behavior that way. And I'm watching you do it that way. And I go, yeah, because my way has problems and I know about those problems because I'm stuck with them. Yeah, exactly. And so- and I can you, live with my shortcomings and shortfalls. Well, you can learn from my mistakes. And yep. that's like, as coaches, that's what we're doing. Exactly. Right? And and as as in every dog, like I'm constantly saying that every dog is practice for the next dog. Yeah. And we experiment with behaviors and we go like, hmm, let's see if I do this, what happens? And like, yeah, my dog's a competition dog. Like I compete with him. We're never going to win a world championship, but mm. like- the reason I have him and the reason I compete is it's a proofing ground for the things that I'm experimenting 100%. with. 100%. So I go like, hmm, let me see about this. And it's interesting to talk about ANKC because, you know, it's AKC in the States. Yep. And I find myself, when people come to me and they say, oh, I've got just, you know, I've got a whatever dog. I've got a, you know, it's not a Malinois. We're not going to do, you know, PSA or anything like that. Reach but, the ceiling, bro. Tap the ceiling. But I, I tell them do AKC mm. and they're like, oh, it's so boring. I don't want to do it. I'm like, yeah, but it's an objective standard. Yep. And I think that's one of the most important things about like when you're trying to develop a skill set mm. uh, is to meet somebody else's objective standard. And we've talked about this before. Like I hate swimming. I fucking hate swimming. I'm not a good swimmer. Yep. And every year I had to tread water for two minutes in my full 
get up in my full army outfit and then swim 400 meters in 12 minutes in under 12 minutes. Every year I had to do that. Yep. Right. And that kept me honest because I like since I left the army, I've not fucking gotten in a pool. Yeah. Right. I mean, I get in a pool and fuck around, but I ain't going swimming because I avoid that. I don't enjoy it. I'm not good at it. But in 2005, when I fell out of an aircraft and got lost over the horizon, had to swim for six hours. I was fucking glad for the day that, I had been forced to practice so much swimming because I knew I was bad at it, right? Yep. Like, and and I knew there was there's I have to meet somebody else's objective standard every year. I have to tread water for two minutes in all of my gear and then swim four hundred meters mm. in under 12, 12 minutes, right? So I had to train it, and so I think a lot of people in dogs kind of certainly you know you do the same thing and that like say it's PSA for example the carjacking I fucking hate that scenario that's such a pain in the ass scenario that we have to do. Like, especially just politically in Australia, it's a difficult yep. thing to do, yeah. but it's there. So we have to train it, yep. right? And yep. it, it, it makes us go, okay, well, this is a part that we have to keep in the dogs. And it's actually a bit of a gateway scenario. It's a mm-hmm. fucking hard scenario. A lot of dogs don't get through it. It is. Right? Yep. And so I think that meeting somebody else's objective standard, no matter what it is, whether you agree with it or, or it's probably better if you disagree with it. When you go into the AKC stuff and you go, okay, well, this is the dog I have. Mm. I have a Labrador, so we're not doing bite sports, yep. right? Yep. And I don't have access to it. I'm not going to, he's not going to be a gun dog or, you know, whatever yep. reason, right? I'm do, limited. I've yeah, got limitations. Do AKC mm. or ANKC or whatever, because yep. it's just training and yep. you can go like, okay, here are the rules. I don't like that I have to teach my dog a stand for exam, right? I don't want to have to do that. I think it's a ridiculous thing. But but is it? Well, but this is the thing. Mm. If, if you think it is, right? And yep. we don't have to change your mind in, in, yeah, in yeah, telling yeah. you that it's worthwhile. Yep. But now you have to train for something that you don't like to train, mm. right? And I think the risk is that certainly for myself, you can go, oh, I don't like stand for exam. I think that's a stupid thing because it's hard to train, mm. right? And you go, I would never do it, right? And maybe you're really what you're saying is, I don't know how to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I had to teach my dog a stand for exam, that would be fucking hard. Like I could do it. Like yep. if, if there was a stand for exam in PSA, that would be a fucking hard thing to do with my dog, mm. right? And so I think having like somewhat sitting someone else's objective, test, it's the same as GRC. Like there's certain things in that that I don't agree with, right? Like I, I just think the liberty period, like yep. <laughs> liberty to my dog means do whatever you want, just don't kill anyone, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, but like I acknowledge Jay's written the rules. There they are. Yeah. That's the objective standard. If you want yep. to play that game, if you want to exactly. prove that you have the skills, you got to meet to that. Yep. And it's like it, our our perception of what a dog should be, everybody's is going to have, you know, it's going to be blurred edges. Everybody's going to have a slightly very um, changed thing. Mm. But then you choose somebody else's sport and you go, all right, I'm going to meet what you call the important standard. Whether I think it's important or not is irrelevant, right? But I am going to work towards your standard to prove that I can, yep. right? Rather than, you know, I just think that there's a lot of risk in that. I know I do it myself. Oh, swimming's not important. It's not totally not important, guys. I don't need to do it, right? Well, I'm glad I did it that day. Yeah, absolutely. Whew. So let's go back. So I think what you're saying there, more I think about it, about your implementation of the variable schedule is I agree with them. We, I would use if, if the dog performed the version of the behavior, I wasn't happy with, I'm not going to pay him for it. Right. But I would still consider myself then dipping back down into my learning phase. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I would still think if, if I'm, if I'm not paying. But you kind of are. That's what I'm saying. So, and you have to. And this is the thing, you know, this is the confusion that people have with the continuous and the variable schedule, or as we call it, the continuous and the intermittent schedule. It's the same thing. Intermittent and variable, the same sort of thing. So the thing with this is you, you're jogging between the two 
continuously throughout your training career. Yeah. You know, you're dropping backwards and forwards because once something is established, like if you're asking for more of it, okay, and as long as the dog has solid foundations in that behavior, if you're asking for more from it, then you have to go to in a minute because the dog will not break the cycle. If it stays on a continual schedule, the dog is cycling. Yeah. Okay. And it's con- that's why they can t- call it the continuous schedule of reinforcement. Yeah. Because the dog is in a positive feedback loop that whole way around and goes, if I do this, I'm going to get this. If I do this, I'm going to get this. So it doesn't break the pattern of it. And the whole reason that you've got to go variable is to break the pattern of it. Yeah. You've got to break the back of the behavior because otherwise the dog has no reason to experiment further because it's already meeting the criteria and saying, I'm getting it. So I don't need to do any more. We used to have an old saying at, at our, our work in Melbourne is you give a lazy person a job, they'll show you to have it, mm-hmm. you know, and this is what dogs are, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Dogs are, are satisfied just staying in that behavior. If they can just get fed for that, that's what they'll do because that's what they understand. Mm-hmm. They just think, oh, well, this is great. I'm just getting, I'll just do the minimum skill and I'll get paid for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Minimum skill pay until you teach them one day. Okay. That's no longer the case. Yeah. We have to stop that. And the dog goes, okay, what the fuck do I have to do? Mm. And that's what I want my, my dog to enter in. I want my dog to open up its mind at that stage and say, what do I need to do now? This is crazy. What's happening? You know, and it really rocks the world and the dog. I was just doing this with pixel at one of our French bulldogs. You know, she's got nerve issues and everything like that. She doesn't like people patting her when she's out in the shed. She doesn't actually like being out there. But the one thing that everybody says is for a dog that's got nerve issues, she switches straight into behavior. Mm. As soon as I take her in that shed, she's looking for shit to do. At the moment, we're teaching her to ride a skateboard. And she's gone from looking at the skateboard, walking towards it. Now she's standing up on top of the skateboard. And this is happening with me just standing in a room, acting like a tree and hitting a clicker. She's Mm. experimenting with the behavior all on her own. If I went continuous with her, all she'd do is look at the skateboard. She'd never do anything else. She'd just look at it. Yeah. You know, but I have to force her to, to, to say, okay, you know, for the first day, looking at it was fine. No problem. Looking at the skateboard is, is payable, but tomorrow it's not going to be, but I have to be ready in that behavior for the dog to do it. I have to have an, an established mindset of where we're going and the direction we're heading in. So, you know, this could actually be a source of the confusion that we've seen in a couple of posts in the group mm. in that I think we're using the same language for different things because you're talking about like that intermittent schedule or variable schedule in order to build the next step in what will be the actual behavior. Yep. I think that then becomes a bit confusing because we also use that same language when we say, okay, we've definitely got the behavior, Mm -hmm. but now we need to go to a intermittent or variable schedule in order to uh, strengthen the likelihood of it, yeah, build absolutely. the dopamine spike. Yeah, but right? the, but you need to do that as you absolutely need to do that as well because you need to transform. Eventually, you're going to get to the stage where you need to transform that behavior from short term memory to long term memory as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you stay in continuous schedule of reinforcement, the risk of extinction is massive. Mm-hmm. If you change it from an intermittent schedule of reinforcement, you're changing it from long term memory. Like the dog is strengthening the understanding of the behavior and actually creating a new network and a new knowledge of that behavior. Yeah. So you're getting, yeah, as you said, you're getting dopamine, but you're also taking away the risk of, of extinction in that behavior as well. Yeah. For both of us, we have slightly different ways. Again, let's use the behavior of us. We do. Right? We have a all slightly different way lead to, Rome. to get to the behavior that we want. Yep. But imagine you've gone left and I've gone right, but we meet back in the middle where we have a sit that's on command and it's exactly what we want. No one did it wrong. No, that's right. But Mm. now we still have to then go to the next step in a variable reinforcement where the dog is wondering, it's not trying to find a new behavior. He knows exactly what the behavior is, right? 
but he's wondering whether he'll be reinforced for doing that behavior mm-hmm. and isn't going to change or modify the behavior because of non-reinforcement, mm-hmm. right? And so that's for me why I delay naming the behavior. And so like I kind of guide the dog to understand that once I name it, that's it. Continue yep. doing that, yep. right? And I have a little bit of room to play, and but typically I'll use some pressure at that point if I want to modify the behavior slightly, like mm-hmm. I'm going to use pressure to modify the behavior rather than like positive reinforcement. Because once I name it, that for me like shows to the dog, stop experimenting. Yep. This is it, right? Yep. And I think, you know, just to stick with that point for a moment, I think some people stick with the consistent mm-hmm. rather than pushing for the chunk of the next piece. They they stick with the consistent for too long and the dog becomes convinced that that is the behavior. I agree. Right? And, yeah, that's and, the danger. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that, like that's one of the things when I did that circle video, I had a lot of people reach out and say like that's not really all the videos because you took – there were huge jumps between mm. – between each session, there was like huge jumps in criteria. And I was like, no, there has to be because otherwise he will get locked. He'll yep. go like, no, he, this is the criteria, behavior. right? Like yeah. this is what you want. Yep. If I'm, if he's learning, he needs to be continually learning, yep. right? Not rehearsing. Yep. Because once we go to rehearsing the same thing, if we do it too many times, he'll go, this is what you want. Yep. And in this context, this is what you'll get. And then you'll get a lock-in behavior. Yeah. And yep. then it can be really difficult. Mm. Of course, there, there's- Plenty of techniques to break the dog out of that behavior, mm. but I'd rather avoid that problem altogether. Yep. But so I think then the discussions that we saw in the in our Facebook group were really then focusing around my dog knows it. Yep. Uh, he knows the behavior. I don't want to modify it anymore. It's on it's on command. It happens every time. Yep. How do I go to a variable schedule then? And I think that's where there's some confusion because people then say like, if I click, should I pay mm-hmm. or not pay? And what I would say on that is if you mark, you reinforce, yep. but there's there's some very specific exemptions to that, right? Mm-hmm. But the idea of a variable schedule is to, um, as you are saying there, when you imagine you have a dog on a consistent schedule and we're using the behavior sit again, you pay yep. it every single time. And mm. for the entirety of the dog's life, you pay it every single time, right? Yep. What you're hoping is that you build habit and that the dog just starts to do it absent reinforcement if he's built a habit of doing it. And that can happen, Mm. but it's not as likely to happen. Then what happens is one day you go, well, you know, I walk to the corner of the street. I tell the dog to sit. He does. I give him a treat. We cross the street. I've done that two years in a fucking row. I'm going to stop doing that, right? And so the first time it works fine. Mm. And the dog goes, oh, that's odd, right? And the second time the dog goes- that's not what I was expecting. And the third time he doesn't do it yep. because the behavior has gone extinct. Yeah. Right. So a, a proper variable schedule is. Doesn't like, allow that to happen. Yeah. So mm. you go. Well, the know, dog doesn't want that to happen. It, it, it starts to think, well, this is normal life. Yeah. So. Yeah. And again, what you're doing is you're investing hope in the dog. Like, yeah. okay, it didn't happen today, but I hope it happens tomorrow. That's and it's right. no big deal. That's right. Mm. And. I find the best way to do that is by asking for another behavior. So that's yep. why I teach everything in pairs. Yep. It's okay when a dog has a bunch of behaviors, you can mm-hmm. then just add one behavior. Yep. But typically with a young dog, I teach two behaviors at a time mm. so that they can go to a variable schedule together. Yep. So what I'll do is I'm teaching a dog to sit. And then the day I decide, okay, like you sit perfectly. I'm happy with the way you sit rather than just going like, okay, no reinforcement for the sit. Like, and we still have this weird stare off at each other and the dog's like, fuck, what do I do now? Do I just walk off? Like I avoid that. Yeah. I tell the dog to down. Yep. And then the dog goes, 
hey, what's this not getting paid for the sit bullshit, yep. right? And he goes into the down. And if the down's not at a variable schedule, then I can pay the dog for the down. Yeah, right? but you've or asked if, a new criteria. Yeah, but if yeah. the down is at a, at a – well, it's not new criteria. It's a known criteria. It's just you didn't get paid for the last Okay, one. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So then yeah. I might one day then the next day yeah. go – See it? He does. He goes, mm. where's my fucking payment? And I go, no payment for you, down. And he goes, okay, I'll do that. And then he he's starting to think the down is what pays. Uh, here comes my expectation of reinforcement. And I tell him to sit again and he does that. And then I pay for there. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing on a variable schedule is breaking the dog's expectation of yep. reinforcement. And that's what surges dopamine. And that's like how you get the dogs addicted to the idea of doing the work. Mm. And so ultimately you, you want to, push that one step at a time, like where the dog you, and you want to get it to the point every time, what that term you would say, like surfing the burst of extinction yep. is you want to get it to the point where the dog thinks, fuck you. This is the last time I'm doing this without reinforcement. Mm. Like I am not doing this another time. And then he does it and you mark and he goes, ah, fuck you. And then the next day he'll do it one more. Mm. Right. Sometimes I wish I worked in an office because I would like to do a lot of these experiments on people in offices, <laughs> but like I've, I wonder about like imagine you could put a switch into someone's computer that meant when they push the button it doesn't turn on but when they push the button a second time it does yeah right so that's a variable schedule because they've been sitting at their computer for six years mm. and they every time they turn up to work they push the button the computer turns on right yeah if one day that computer doesn't turn on oh trust me that happens they're pushing the button again yeah right but then they might push it two or three times but that's it the behavior yeah. goes extinct and they call the tech guy hey yep. my computer's busted yes but if I was the tech guy. What I could do is rig their computer so that they push the button and it doesn't turn on. They go, hmm, that's weird. And they push it again and it does. Yep. So they get the reinforcement. Oh, that would be on. a fucking nightmare. Because right? then and they'd press it so many times they'd turn it on and off well, and on and off. Well, no, the special switch that I've got only okay. turns on and I can add one Oh, this per is a Pat day. Stewart switch. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. So then the next day they come in and they go, they turn it on, it doesn't work. And they yep. go, oh, just like yesterday. And they push it again, it still doesn't work. And they're like, what the fuck? And they push it again, third time, turns on. So you want to experiment to see how, how often they'll sit there. I'm telling you, if I would do, if I did that, like carefully and had like bounce between consistent, like you could build a half an hour behavior of somebody trying to turn a computer on. Yeah. Yeah. I could have them sit there and in a year push it 300 times easily. Yeah. They would. Monkeys, monkeys do that. Yeah. Yeah. To get their reinforcement. So that's a variable reinforcement schedule. And Mm. that's like, that's pushing to the edge of extinction where the the dog goes, you know what? Fuck you. This is the last time. Yeah. You're building resilience in it. Yeah. yeah, and that's if why you, don't you have pay to me go this to variable. Time, I'm not doing it next yeah. time. And then yeah. you do pay. And then that means that he yesterday he did it twice, tomorrow he'll do it three times. Yep. And you build up that way. So that's a variable schedule. Mm. So in the post, people were asking, like, you know, should I click and not pay? Yep. And what I would say is or mark and not pay, right? Mm. What I would say is I think there's a you should, but there's an exception in that sometimes I'll mark. Mm. But then prior to the dog getting the reinforcer, mm. he's on his way to it, I'll give him another command. Yep. And that would build his speed and reaction to the marker. Yeah. So take, for example, and we do this, like this is how you train a lot of behaviors. People people who are probably saying, I would never do that. You do. Yeah. Because you imagine like every time you call your dog off, you if you do bite sports and you send your dog to bite and you call him off, that's yep. what you're doing. Yep. You're, you're giving him the marker. You're saying, you're allowed your reinforcer. I've changed my mind. Come back, do another behavior. And then you get your reinforcer. Yep. So- Instead of waiting for the big event of doing that on a decoy, Mm -hmm. I use an exercise like the triangle because then I'm going to – like like the triangle or a modification of it where I'm showing the dog I can change my mind, right? And 
I told you you can have your reinforcer. So like my, the ball will be on the floor mm -hmm. and then I can tell the dog, go get the ball. And then on his way to the ball, he's got his reinforcer. He's on his way to get his reinforcer before he gets there. I say heal and he comes back and heals. Yep. And so that's the only time I would give the mark and not allow the dog to actually get the reinforcer. And I don't do that often, mm -hmm. but I do it often enough that it's always in the dog's mind. And the way that he can avoid that is to be faster to the reinforcer. Yeah, and that makes sense. And when he's faster to the reinforcer, he'll be faster to the behaviors that will lead to the reinforcer. Yep. Mm. But what I would never do is click and go, none for you. Yep. Like I would never. Oh, do no, that. no, no, no. I never recommend that. Once yeah. you click, you're obligated. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and one thing I will acknowledge about the clicker versus verbal markers is that you can do that once or twice, right? Yep. And so the beauty of the verbal marker is you can use them in competition and just not reinforce, mm. right? Something I did in my PSA level one is we do the figure eights in the muzzle, yep. right? And then there's dog toys all over the floor that are distractions. So you do the figure eights, you leave the dog, you come back, bring the dog into the sit, take the muzzle off. In that scenario, you get critiqued. And while you're taking the muzzle off, you're outside of scoring, yep. right? So what I did was my dog did all of that. And he's on leash at this point because it's a level one. I've got the the leash in my hand. I yep. take the muzzle off and I give my marker for get one of those balls on the floor. Yep. And then- But you don't let him get to the ball. I don't ball. let him get yeah, it. Yeah. But right? that still builds the anticipation of yeah. I could have got it. Yes. But I just got held back. Yes. Yep. So as soon as his so muzzle came off, I mm. said, and he went for one of the balls, <laughs> which I restricted him getting because he's yep. on leash. Yep. And then I told him to heal. Yep. And so what I did was- he felt like he was reinforced mm. because it's a marker. Like it, it had a class, a conditioned response. He mm. was like, "Fuck yeah, I'm finished. I'm, I'm, I've done the right thing. I'm on the right path." Yep. And then I've coiled the spring of frustration because he didn't actually get it. Mm. And it's not that he didn't get it because it wasn't available. I didn't lie to him just before he had a chance to overcome the resistance of pulling into it, which is something he's used to doing. Yep. I gave him another command, and you boosted and him. It's right. Mm. It's like a power up. And yep. he looked at me and was like, "You motherfucker!" Yeah. Like. The way that I train is we're changing teams, right? Yeah. The goal is you try and get the ball mm. through doing the work. Then when you get the ball, I try and get the ball off you by fighting you for it. And yep. that's the game that we play. And so I said to him, you did the work, you get the ball. Mm. Then he was like on his way to get it. And then I go, change teams. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you got me, right? And mm. and rather than having a detrimental effect, in, in fact, it powered me up quite yep. a lot. Now- and the, risk. And the if thing he picked is, up that ball, I would have been in big fucking trouble. Yeah. Right? But the thing is, is like you've had very good explanations on the maintaining hope. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that's and that's what you do in training is you never rob your dog of the benefits of hope. Mm. Like the dog realizes, look, I didn't get it now, but I know that I'm going to get it later and it's going to be extra special for me. Yeah. You know, and I mean, you do a bit much, you do much more justice in explaining that. But, you know, if the dog does understand that, there's no loss to the dog. You know, the dog just understands, okay, well, that was a fuck over, you know, like I didn't get it then, mm. but I'm feeling, I'm burning for something now. And then it pushes itself into a drivier behavior. Mm. You know, that's a great thing. It really is a great thing. Mm. So I've seen people explain that, yeah, I click and when the dog comes back, he doesn't get the food. I just kind of roughhouse him and put him back in so he doesn't and, and I'd say yeah so you are giving a reinforcer because the dog likes that rough housing yeah. right so it's not you aren't on a variable as in 
variable whether you get it or not after the click. Yeah. You're on a variable as to what it's going to be after the click. So it's yep. it's not variable as in binary. Mm. It's variable as in it's a package and yep. you'll find out what the package is. Yeah. As you've explained, what you're doing, it's your belief of not reinforcing, but you actually have. Mm. And you've just given a lower level reinforcer. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the big risk. And certainly that's what I've had a lot of observation seeing is when people go, okay, my dog totally knows this behavior. I'm going to a variable reinforcement schedule. And they just like the dog does the behavior and they go, okay, variable reinforcement, you're not getting anything. Yep. And the dog's like, well, fuck you. I'm going to go sit in the shade. Yep. And so he did get something. Mm. He got to finish your shitty session and sit in the shade. And then that like, you know, diminishes your power because you are at the, you are at a consistent schedule, just a shitty one yep. rather than just going like, okay, fuck you, variable reinforcement schedule. I'm not paying you for that behavior. Here's yep. another behavior. Yes, I am paying you for that. Mm. So it always leads to a good payment, but just like through a path of many behaviors. Yep. And that's putting the chain together, right? Yep. Yeah, right. And Oof. never break the chain. Oof. Unless you want to. Well, <laughs> it's it's got to be by design. Yeah. 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 Not, on purpose. Not, yeah, on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. It is a lot. How long have we been going? Uh, long enough to wrap up. <laughs> All yeah. right. Yeah. It's a bit of a, a bit technical. But as I say- it, It's nice though. It looked, to be honest, you know, I enjoy having these conversations because it fixes things that are not clear in my mind too. You know, I think we explained it nicely before is that all roads lead to Rome. Yeah. And there's many different ways. Like I've had people that have, you know, like have said to me, oh, I don't like this Napopo thing. And I said, you probably don't understand it, mm. you know, and that's the difficulty of being critical about something. I said, get into it, deep dive into it, and then tell me if you still don't like it. You know, I've had other people say to me, and I've said the same thing before. I've looked at things, I've thought, oh, I don't like that. But then I've seen the person on the field and thought, holy shit, it works. And you've yeah. said this multiple times when you've been over and watched people in PSA and you're thinking, you know, like they don't train anywhere like I train and yet they're still successful and still winning national championships. More successful, yeah. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is we've got to acknowledge that there is a lot of different training st- styles out there. It doesn't matter if the person sells it well or explains it well or they don't explain it well because some people can't explain it. They yeah. just do it. You know, they're pragmatic but not academic and that's fine. If they're still out on the field and they're still producing the goods, well, you have to look at it and say they're still communicating well with their dog. Their Mm. dog understands and that's interpreted through results. Mm. You know, and that's the thing that I say to people is don't give up on somebody just because they can't explain it well. Okay. Sometimes you might have to do the translation for them. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you just have to look and, and say, holy shit, it has merit in what they're trying to explain. It's just not explained so well. Mm. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in results. Actions speak louder than words. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I think, the function of competition. Absolutely. It's evidence. Yes. Here it is. Yep. I can show you. Yeah. Objective standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's it. For another episode. Of the Canon Paradigm. <laughs> As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Mm-hmm. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from and yep. be specific. Mm. Tell us uh, what it is about today's rant that was helpful. Or yeah, not, or it wasn't not. a rant. It was just a fun conversation. Yeah. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is Patreon. So this is the plug for Patreon. But what I will say is every, like we probably just covered three or four topics that have, you know, probably an hour long video each in Patreon. And for three bucks, you get to watch all of them. Um, So jump in there and check that out. The other thing you could do is jump on a Teespring and rep some cool merch. You could be one of us, one of us. <laughs> yeah. And, and thank you for those who are one of us. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate one appreciate your support. Uh, and if you want to get in contact with us, group source information through the Facebook group. It is the Canon Paradigm Discussion Group on Facebook. Mm. Or if it's personal or something, shoot us an email. We are info at com. Definitely. 
That's it. Goodbye.